cheaper than our producer's underage sister, edgier than the stuff showed on late night television. Newer than Kim Kardashian's ex, live from Orlando, it's Crazy Train Radio. Obviously, it's not the only thing this man is known for. Right now, we got Mr. Bruno San Martino on the line. Bruno, how you doing? I'm very good, Adam, and how are you? Oh, you know what? I can't complain, sir. You know. Good. Every day's a holiday. Oh, they're wonderful. Well, you know, when we first started talking last weekend, I want to knock it out right away. Uh, you mentioned to me on the phone about wanting to squash some rumors, different things out there. And you want to talk about your website. Uh, you want to address that? Well, the, the reason being that uh, we got this uh, website is because there's been an awful lot of information on the Internet, people saying all sort of different things. Uh, so I, I suggested to people, if they want to know just what's going on as far as me, what I'm actually saying and what I'm doing, uh, to go to uh, brunosamartino.info. And uh, there they'll get the straight scoop because it's bothersome uh, when uh, people even pretend to be you and make claims and say things uh, they put on the Internet when, in fact, uh, they're not true at all. So that was very bothersome to me. So I would urge anybody who's interested at all and wants to know just uh, what's going on and everything else to, to just uh, go there. Again, that site is uh, brunosamartino.info. And if you also right. go on there, which I was looking out on there, there's a documentary in the works already filmed. What can you tell us about that? Well, the documentary has been complete. Uh, it was complete. In fact, I just got to see it not long ago, three, four days ago, and I was very, very pleased with it. I'm pleased with it because it's all uh, very factual. There's no, nothing added or subtracted that is not true. Uh, we made about three or four different trips back to the, to Italy, and we even even went up the mountain where we hid from the Nazis during the war, uh, because it, it had to be filmed and so forth up there. So, uh, and then a lot of people were interviewed um, in my town that are still around, who went through that period, who lived through that time, and to tell uh, you know just everything that happened and so forth. And uh, and and then you know so it tells the story of my childhood and war experience and getting sick with dramatic fever and, and then finally coming to America at the age of 14 in 1950 and then we go on and tell the rest of the story what took place in my life how I got started you know being a very sickly kid how I developed myself and how I got into wrestling and all that so I was very very pleased with the way it was done like I said because it's all factual as far as the movie the screen uh, writing is complete and uh, I understand there's a couple studios in Hollywood who are interested, um, and uh, there are some other independents uh, that are interested in it. Um, the movie, it's exciting, but I just hope that uh, 
uh, I guess I won't be as excited with the movie as I am with the documentary because I know the, comment- the, the, the you know the, the documentary is all 100% and the actual people are in it and and to, to go through the story and that the movie they you know they're gonna uh, even though I have to approve everything but I'm sure that there's still gonna be some things in there as the saying goes they all like to Hollywoodize uh, everything so. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see uh, uh, how it comes. But uh, anyway, right now that's where it's at. I understand that uh, they're in the process of uh, raising the funds and uh, soon will be uh, uh, looking for the uh, talent, you know, to to play the parts. Well, that's got to be pretty cool looking back and knowing your life story and everything, that, that there was enough interest that they want to make a movie about it, about you. Well, of course, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, it's interesting. But again, I, I, uh, I hope it's uh, nearly as good as the when it when it does uh, happen. That I hope it will be nearly as good and as factual as the uh, documentary. But um, time will tell. But of course, it's very flattering. Yeah, absolutely. All right, uh, let's uh, hit the topic real quick of the Hall of Fame. Uh, obviously, we know. People know who follow wrestling that you've had your issues with the, some of the changes that happened throughout the years of the business and whatnot. What led to the changes to say, okay, I'll do it? Well, the changes came about, oh, maybe, I guess it's been about almost seven months ago when uh, uh, Paul Levesque, who better known as Triple H, uh, he actually called me, and uh, nine, I don't know Paul. I mean, I knew him as a... Uh, as a Triple H, one of the you know the big superstars of professional wrestling of the day, but I didn't know him personally at all. And uh, when he first contacted me, he said that you know he wanted to talk to me about the possibilities uh, of me going into the Hall of Fame, and he says he understood uh, all the issues that I had uh, been very outspoken about, but he wanted to tell me that. Uh, Changes had been made, and, and uh, a lot of changes were made, and even more to come. And so he started out by the uh, the drug programming, and uh, he mentioned a doctor who, who heads that uh, that uh, program. And of course, I know that doctor well. Not only is he from Pittsburgh, he's very famous. He's a world-renowned neurosurgeon, and he also happened to have operated on me on my back uh, three different times. In fact, he saved me because I was uh, at a point to where I could hardly uh, stand or walk because I did so much damage, and and my back I had no circulation going to my lower extremities, and and I was heading for I mean literally to a, in a wheelchair. Uh, but he uh, took three different surgeries on me, but uh, he uh, got me back on my feet, and, and today, thanks to him, I do three days of road work where I do five miles a, a day, and. I do uh, the other three days. I'm still working out with the weights here in my own little gym at home, and so you know I, I owe a lot to, these, to this man. And I know of his reputation, and I know what kind of a man he is. And uh, when I f- found out that he was actually heading all the drug testing and and also the wellness program to check these people with uh, concussions and uh, their general health uh, period. Uh, I knew, uh, and then of course I, I met. I, I, I after I talked to Paul, I contacted Dr. Maroon, and we had several meetings together. And he assured me about how strict the uh, the testing was, and that uh, 
he said, you know, you, I know you never watch wrestling anymore. He says, you ought to look at it, and you'll see the difference with the guys that are out there. I started watching it again, and I did see uh, a lot of the guys uh, that I saw on the nights on Monday Night Raw that I was watching, and uh, they looked like athletes, you know, well built. But uh, I didn't see the uh, the, the steroid uh, era of uh, you know that was so ridiculous as far as I mean, so obvious about these guys and, and how much of that stuff they were on. So that was uh, very very good. But as I continued my conversations with Paul. In time, he also, you know, told me about what they'd done about the other things that I uh, uh, spoke up against, the nudity, the vulgarity, the profanity that was going on. And uh, he told me, you know, that he would appreciate if I'd watch more because he says that they made all those changes. And he explained to me that they wanted to be more uh, family-friendly. So I started watching it, and I watched it for a couple of months, and I saw no nudity. I saw none of that vulgarity stuff that they used to have on there or the profanity that was so ridiculous. So uh, given all that, and then in speaking to Paul uh, time and again and again, uh, I was very convinced that this guy is very sincere and that he really uh, loves wrestling and he wants to do uh, the best for wrestling. And, he's, and I think that as he has gained more... Uh, you know, uh, in running the, the the company, I'm sure. Don't get me wrong. I'm sure that Vince McMahon is still uh, a very big part, uh, but I think he's giving more and more uh, duties to uh, his son-in-law, Triple H, and uh, and I think that he's done a fantastic job. But again, uh, all these moves, I'm sure that uh, Vince uh, had to uh, go along with, approve of and so forth. But look at it. I was very critical of them for years. But I, critical I was, but I also want to, you know, give them credit now because they did make the changes. And, uh, and, I, and I respect that and I applaud that. Uh, I, I said that I would be a hypocrite if I went into that Hall of Fame uh, under the, the previous conditions because I had been very critical of them and I didn't feel right into accepting their Hall of Fame. But as I was asked a number of times by different people who interviewed me, they said, well, what if all that changes? Are you capable of changing along with it, with them? And I said, absolutely. Well, those changes have come about. And uh, Paul has convinced me of his honesty, integrity, that he's a man who loves the business. Uh, he was trained by Killer Kowalski, so he's very familiar with old-school wrestling. And uh, he, he loved that part, and I think he wants to uh, head toward that direction uh, as time goes. And uh, all, all that combined is what uh, convinced me that the time was right for me to go in. Well, you brought up uh, two things leading into my next question right there, but uh, Paul's honesty and integrity. Do you think that was instilled in him as far as a professional side because of being trained by Kilo Kowalski? Oh, I think uh, that's uh, very possible because the way he talks about that era, and he seemed to have great, great respect for that uh, particular era, and I know how much he respected Kowalski, and I'm sure that Kowalski not only trained him, but uh, spoke to him plenty, you know, about, uh, you know, uh, the wrestling of that period. And uh, I'm sure that even Paul, when he came into professional wrestling, uh, and uh, he had no say, so I don't imagine, in the beginning, and and he saw and even participated in everything that was going on. But I think that as time went on, and uh, 
he was given more and more, you know, like I say, uh, power. Uh, I think that he, uh, you know, he, he understood that uh, uh, he, he, wa- he wanted wrestling to be more respected. He wanted to be more family friendly, and uh, and to do that, you're going to have to make some drastic changes. Like I said, I'm sure he talked to his father-in-law about it, and and I guess he had to agree to it. Uh, otherwise, I don't know that Paul could have done it on his own. But the fact, but uh, getting to know him, and and like I say, I I find out pretty good as to what kind of a guy he is. I think that uh, the wrestling has got a good future with a guy like him uh, running it in the future. Awesome. Well, we know you you have always been about the fans and always been friendly to your fans and everything else. We actually were letting our fans know that we were going to be talking to you uh, on this take pre-tape, and they actually emailed some uh, questions, and if I can ask you those for them, if possible. Okay, sure. All right. The first one is from a James Gore out of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. With the Hall thing coming up, who do you have an idea of who you would like to induct you? Uh, you know what, uh, when I spoke to uh, Paul uh, about that, uh, he told me that, you know, if I had somebody in mind, but he said if I would also give them the opportunity, he said of, uh, they were, they, they're thinking of a few people, they said that they want it to be very special, and they want someone who is uh, worldly, someone who is known throughout the world to, to make that presentation. Now, they didn't mention any names. And since there was a lot of time before, uh, before uh, you know, the uh, um, April the 6th, uh, I said that, uh, okay, I said, uh, uh, you know, uh, tell me who, uh, when, you re- uh, when you decide or when you contact whoever it is that you folks have in mind, let me know. And I hope it's someone that, uh, that you know, we're all in agreement with. But if, uh, if, on the other hand, it isn't, I'm sure that they're willing to listen to uh, Maybe someone that I might have in mind, you know. Well, that will, but I haven't given it any thought because, like I said, we've been negotiating all this time about all these changes and, and, and so many different things. And so I haven't given really any thought. I'm going to give them the, the see what they come up with first. And then uh, if that's uh, not acceptable, then I'll, I'll come up with some names. But as, as of now, I, I have no one in mind. Uh, a gentleman by the name of Pete Lynch out of uh, Florida had emailed a question questioning uh, over that time, especially during your heyday as a wrestler, a lot of guys went back and forth between good guy and bad guy. Were you ever faced with making that type of decision on going one way or the other? No, no, I was. Uh, no, I always wanted to be me. Uh, I, I no, I, there was never any question about any of that. I. I wanted to, to – I had uh, worked very hard. Uh, uh, you know, I competed in both Olympic-style lifting, uh, power lifting, and I was wrestling in school, and I wrestled for about seven, eight years, uh, for, you know, before I turned pro. And uh, I, I loved wrestling. I, uh, uh, I wanted to, to, to uh, make my parents, my mom especially, uh, both of my parents, but my mom, the history of her – during the war and everything, so I wanted her to be proud of me. I wanted her to know that her son was uh, was liked, uh, 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 and that was very important to me. So no, I never gave that any thought. Well, speaking of that, to kind of go off direction a little bit, what did your parents think of your career choice of being a professional wrestler? 
Well, in the beginning, they were very concerned because they were afraid that uh, they felt that it was dangerous, you know, and then that you could get hurt. And they were, of course, worried about uh, me a lot that way. But as I broke in the business and I started making, you know, a bit of a name for myself and all that, um, they were always concerned. But they also became very proud because, you know, uh, we had come from a pretty bad uh, background, like I say, during that war and all that, that transpired, especially in my case when I came down with rheumatic fever and I was at really at death's door. I mean, I, a doctor who saw me who came from out of town after the war, he told my mother that she didn't think there was any hope of my survival. So, you know, my mom had already lost uh, uh, two kids, uh, lost a sister and a brother, and, and she was uh, determined that she was not going to lose another one. So she did everything in her power. She's she sought help, and she uh, had neighbors, you know, and they put leeches all over my body, and they would have uh, supposedly the theories that the leeches take the poison blood out of your system. She would have me inhale fumes. She would boil water and, and inhale that because it's supposed to have been good for the lungs. I don't know if that stuff uh, really worked. All I know is that uh, I was supposed to die, but but I lived. And so naturally, when I came to this country and I was very, very frail and very weak and very skinny, uh, once I started exercising and my appetite uh, getting better and better, I kept growing and growing. And so my mom naturally was so delighted and happy. It was always my dad, but my my dad was in America during this period because he had just come before the war. So then when the war broke, all passages were closed, so he was stuck here, and my mom was stuck there for with the, with us all the kids and so uh my mom went through really hell and uh so uh coming here and seeing me getting bigger and stronger and bigger and bigger and stronger and stronger and naturally she 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 would gleam she was so thrilled so in wrestling uh she was always amazed that uh Here's her child that was supposed to die that got up to be 275 pounds and, and considered to be one of the strongest guys and all that stuff. So she was extremely proud, and I was so happy that they lived long enough uh, to see me, uh, uh, you know, have that kind of success. And uh, it made them, made them very, very happy. Well, speaking of that, one more question on that sense of a term. Is this story true that when you had the uh, broken neck incident with Stan Hansen, that you actually went home to Pittsburgh before you went and checked into the hospital, not to worry your folks? I did go to the hospital, and I had my attorney named Bernard Spiegel, who's no longer with us, but he's a, a great guy, um, uh, that when they took me to the hospital and I broke my neck. But I, I knew that if word got in, in on the news, I knew it would get the news out in Pittsburgh that I was in a hospital in New York with a broken neck. I knew that that would kill my mom. Uh, uh, they were up there in age. They were in their, uh, up, they were in their um, eh, uh, what, 80s. Uh, and, uh, uh, and knowing my mother, and uh, she, uh, she worried about me all the time, um, I really did. And I told uh, my attorney, uh, I said, uh, i, I got to get to Pittsburgh. And the hospital wouldn't release me because they said that uh, – uh, I, I came within a millimeter of being paralyzed from the neck down, and they said that they were not going to take its responsibility if I left the hospital if something happened to me. You know, I guess I, I understood. I guess they were concerned about being sued or whatever. But I told uh, Bernie Spiegel, I said, look, i got to get home. I said, I don't care what. I said, I have to get home. 
So with the help, you know, they put some on my neck and stuff like that, and I was able to, uh, they took me to an airport and, and got me on a plane, and then they were waiting for me when I got to Pittsburgh, and, and my doctor gave me help. <laughs> he said, do you know, do you know how close you came from being paralyzed? What's wrong with you? I said, look, it was important for me to come here. At least if I'm in a hospital in Pittsburgh, uh, my parents, uh, you know, my brother or my sister, We'll bring them over and they can see me. I can talk to them and, and, and I'm sure that it'll be a lot better than just here that I'm in a New York hospital with a broken neck. And so it, it, it I took a risk. It was a bad risk, but it, but it was good because uh, my mom was there every day and, and to see me and, and doctor told her, you know, that I was uh, been in great shape and that I was going to come out of this and recuperate and all that. Uh, it made a, a world of difference to her. So I, I knew how important it was for me to, to come home, and, and I had to. Okay. Well, we had a question coming from uh, Greg from Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, he actually had two. Who would you say was your toughest competition, and is it true that Bobo Brazil was probably your best tag team partner? Um. But the first, the toughest, there were so many great guys in my era. I felt so privileged that I had the opportunity to wrestle these guys. Guys like like uh, uh, Ivan Koloff, uh, who was great, Killer Kowalski, Don Leo Jonathan, Big Bill Miller, Turo Tanaka, uh, Monsoon. Uh, there were so many guys. I wouldn't dare mention one person and say he was stood above all because they were all great in their own way, and I had great respect for for all of these people. Um, as far as uh, Bobo Brazil, of course I had uh, I, I liked Bobo. He was a great guy. He was a good, decent man, a giant of a man. You know, Bobo was what six five, three hundred and ten pounds or something, and I tagged with Bobo. Uh, quite a few times, and there's no question, you know, he, I, I loved the, the opportunity to tag with him. I don't know if, if I want to choose, say, necessarily there was, uh, uh, there was certainly on top of the list, but I loved being with Dominic Danucci, who was my dear friend, who, uh, you know, we, we came from the same neck of the wood in the old country. So whenever we had the opportunity to be tag team partners, I thoroughly enjoyed that uh, a lot because uh, I had a lot of respect and I liked Dominic. Uh, so, you know, that was one of my favorites as well. But, you know, I, I, I tag teamed with Rocca in the very early years of my career, uh, which was good, great because I had been watching guys like Rocca on TV and I had great uh, respect and I admired them. Uh, there were quite a, a lot of guys, but you know, I, most of my bouts were single. I didn't have a whole lot of tag team matches. But uh, I, again, I don't want to pick any one, but I enjoyed them all. Bobo absolutely was one of the, the, the ones on top of that list. Well, uh, speaking of the early days, because you mentioned tag team with uh, Mr. Rocker there, uh, you uh, were going back and forth because obviously you got your revival in Toronto and had a lot of uh, work up there and working for Vince Sr. Uh, back in no, not for, not, for Vince, not for Vince Sr. When I went to Toronto, I was working for Frank Tunney. Yeah, no, I said you were working in Toronto and working doing some stuff for Vince Sr. So you were After, kind no. of doing both at the time. No, that's that's not right. Uh, what, what happened was that when I left, um, 
when I, I went through a period where things weren't going well, I, I got out of the, 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 the area, New York, where I started. I left that area. I went back home for a while. In fact, even got a job. But then I had an opportunity to go to Canada. And when I went to Toronto, I stayed there for a year and a half, strictly out of Toronto for Frank Downey's office. When uh, the opportunity came up with Drew McMahon, who, uh, who offered me an opportunity to, to go in with Buddy Rogers, then when I came in and back in 63, in May in 63, when I wrestled Buddy Rogers and took the belt, then at that point, I had promised Frank Tunney, who had been very good to me for giving me a real opportunity, and I was, like I said, I spent a little over a year and a half there, uh, he wanted me to come to the, uh, if I would uh, wrestle for him in the Maple Leaf Garden every other Sunday. So I, when I came back as champion and I was with the Worldwide Wrestling Federation, at that time, yes, I would go every two weeks and uh, work uh, at the Maple Leaf Garden for Frank Tommy. And I did that for, uh, I don't know, maybe three, four, five years. Uh, but uh, that's the only time that I say worked for Vince and, and made the occasion, I mean, and, you know, go for Tani every other week. But for that year and a half, I worked strictly and only for Frank Tani, and he, his TV went all over Canada. So I, I just traveled all over Canada, but always out of Frank Tani's promotions. Okay. Well, in this time period, uh, well, first of all, was it true that you had issues with Buddy Rogers, or Buddy Rogers had issues with you? And well, we, Buddy and I was. never liked each other. But, you know, from the beginning, Buddy and I never liked each other. I mean, he's gone now, God rest his soul, but he didn't like me and I didn't like him at all. Yeah, that's that's, that's true. That's any walk of life, there's people like that. So. Uh, but the, during that same time period, the NWA, I think it was around 64, 65, actually wanted you to work with Lupez, but you turned that opportunity down. Is that true? I had... I had worked with Lufez when I was in Canada, but this time was to unify the, the title. They wanted that the NWA got together with the Vince McMahon and Tutsmond of the WWF, and they wanted to make a one champion. Uh, there was going to be only one champion. There wasn't going to be an NWA and a WWF champion. It was going to be one champion. Uh, I was not involved in any of the meetings that they had during that period of time. I understand Lufez was but I was never asked to be in one of the meetings or anything like that. But I found out through the grapevine, well, actually through a, uh, a guy that I got along very well who was with uh, with Vince McMahon and Tutsmond, who worked for them, uh, by the name of Phil Zacco. Phil Zacco, who was, uh, I, I considered him a very good friend, and we used to talk a lot um, whenever I saw him in Washington. And he told me that uh, the, the conversations, the meetings that were going on, that if uh, I won the title, but uh, uh, there was a, a problem that uh, the, the NWA president, which was uh, Sam Mushnick and Vince McMahon, they were uh, trying to work out who would get uh, what days of the month. Sam, uh, Sam, uh, Sam Maneker, uh needed, uh, I believe at the time, if I remember correctly, he said he needed about 17 or days or something like that. And McMahon said, no, he says, we have too many big clubs in the Northeast. He says, all our cities have huge arenas, more so than any place in the country. He says, and I, I, we have to have Bruno to, to, to be in those clubs. So, and then the, to, to do some TV dates. So they wanted 
So McMahon wanted me like, I don't know, 18, 19 days. In other words, between the two of them, you know, they're talking like 36 days out of the month. So when I heard all this stuff, you know, there's only 30 or 31 days in a month, and these guys, uh, the way they were talking, in other words, I would be working every single day of the month. I would have no doubt time off at all. So when I heard that from uh, Phil Zacco, I had a meeting with Vince McMahon Sr. and Tutsman. And I told them, I said, look, I said, I don't know what you guys are discussing as far as the dates. I understand that the date is the problem, the issue. I said, I want to make something very, very clear. I said, right now I get two days out of the month to go home and see my my family and my, my parents and my wife, you know, and my kid at the time. And I said, and I'm going to speak to Frank Tani, I said, uh, uh, to tell him that uh, I hope he'll forgive me, but I won't go there on Sundays anymore because two Sundays out of the month is not enough. I have to be home more than that. And uh, so I said, so you guys can discuss the dates all you want, and it's fine with me. I don't care who gets what dates, how many dates. I said, as long as forget Sundays. Sundays are going to be mine. Sunday is my one day that I'm going to be home with family. Well, when uh, Tutsmond and Vince, you know, now you realize that they're on a 30-day month, now we're talking 26 days, and 26 days uh, with what Sam Mushnick, uh, I said, uh, I said Sam Hanneke, I meant Sam Mushnick, he was the promoter. Sam Mushnick wanted and what Vince needed. Uh, Tutsmond said, look, he told Vince, I guess, he said, look, he said, we're doing great. He says they want to unify the title because we will become number one, more or less. And, and he says, and, and all we're going to do is weaken ourselves uh, by spreading our champion, you know, that 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 far off. He said, uh, you know, uh, I think we should let things go as they are. And then that decision was made because I stood by my guns. And Frank Tony was a gentleman. He, I, when I spoke to him about that, uh, two days out of the month just wasn't enough. And he, he understood. And he said, well, maybe once in a good while, maybe you'll make an appearance for me. And I said, absolutely, and I'd be happy to. And that's why that never came about, because uh, it was that question of who needed how many days, and, and they would have had me going 30 and 31 days out of the month. I would have never had a day off. And that, was, of course, was kind of ridiculous. So that's, what's, that's what killed that deal. Okay. Well, I have two more questions because I said we wouldn't keep you a, a long time. The first one would be uh, the infamous uh, backstage fight with a football player. What can you tell us about that actual story? The truth behind. Ah, uh, that's you know, I you know, I, I was uh, actually uh, uh, when I came back as a color commentator with Vince McMahon Jr. in September of 1984. Uh, in 1985. Um, 86, I, I forget, if it was, maybe 86, uh, they had a show at the Civic Arena here in Pittsburgh, and I was asked if I would handle that show that night because of the regular, who would be the agent who would be there for the WWE, uh, something happened, he couldn't be there. So I, I said, okay, that I would uh, handle the show. While I was over there, you have to know the Civic Arena in Pittsburgh. It had the, in the hallway going to the different dressing room. It was a very narrow hallway. And uh, I happened to be in the hallway. I was talking to the commission doctor, uh, uh, actually, and I seen these six guys uh, 
come down that, that, that little hallway. And I knew that they didn't belong back there. And I, I approached them very nicely, and I said, hey, fellas, I said, I don't know how you got back here, but you can uh, you can be back here. And one of them stuck his hand out to shake my hand, and I shook his hand. And when I shook his hand, he started really squeezing my hand. And so I caught on that, you know, these must have been wise guys. And I, so I looked at the guy, and I said, well, what do you think you're doing? And he uh, proceeds to say to me, uh, he says, you're nothing but a washed-up old man. I was about 51 or 52 at the time when this happened. And, uh, you know, that ticked me off, you know, because uh, I, I didn't deserve that. And I had been nice with them as I approached them. I, so I, I responded. I said, well, uh, not too old and washed up to knock you on your can. And with that, the guy took a swing at me. Well, I docked it, and I nailed him, and he went down, and now I'm trying to keep all of them in front of me, because if they got behind me and that, I would have been in a lot of trouble. So I was kicking and punching and doing everything I had to do to, to fight these guys, and the sheik uh, was taking a shower. He had just wrestled a while before, and he heard the commotion, and when he looked out, the, 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 the shower area came to look at that hallway. He saw me alone, you know, with these guys. And uh, he immediately didn't, he was all wet, soaking wet. He, he came slipping, slipping even on the way, running over towards me and he joined me. And we, uh, we did pretty good. We kind of cleaned house a little bit and, and, and that's what happened. One of them was, oh, the football player. One of them had been a, a ball player. He had been with the Pittsburgh Steelers, I think, for a year or two. And then he, uh, played for the Canadian Football Leagues. I think Hamilton and some other place. I, I, I'm really not sure. I didn't know the guy at the time. I, I didn't know who he was. But uh, but anyway, that's what happened. Yeah, I just find that uh, hard to believe that the Iron Sheik was the only guy to, you know, come out and uh, defend, help defend you. Well, I was disappointed, too, because there were plenty of guys there, and there were others, and I will not mention names, but there were others who saw what was going on. But the Sheik was the guy. Who uh, who came and uh, helped me out? Yeah, because you know what, people have a lot to say about him, but you know, for stuff like that, for him to say, you know, what, I'm going to go uh, stand up for Bruno is means a lot. You know. Oh, and he did, and I and I, and I, I appreciate it. Uh, I I always respected him because this guy had a tremendous reputation as an amateur wrestler. You know, he represented Iran in the Olympic Games. He was in the uh, Pan American Games when he came here. I mean, this guy was a tremendous athlete, and I had great respect for him, you know. Uh, and as a pro, he certainly made his mark in professional wrestling. So I, uh, I, I've i always had great respect for for the Iron Sheik. Well, the last thing that I want to ask you for for good, though, for tonight is that I found most interesting is that you actually had a private meeting with the Pope. How did that come about? <laughs> Well, it came about that uh, I knew a, uh, a, a, a Monsignor Fusco who had the, who had the parish in a town outside of Pittsburgh named New Kensington. And he, uh, had, he had come from Italy you know, many years before, and he was very, uh, uh, he was a guy that was extremely respected in the Catholic Church. He had done a lot of things for the poor. He had started the, the St. Anthony Orphanage here in Pittsburgh. He was, he was truly, truly a, a great, great man. And, uh, and, uh, he, uh, liked me because, uh, I came from the old country and because, 
Um, he liked the way I presented myself on TV as he watched me, and and he asked to, to, to meet me. And he was up there in age. He was like, I don't know, maybe 78, uh, uh, 79 years of age at the time. And so on that day that I come home on a Sunday, I met with him, and he was just uh, uh, to me he was awesome. He's, he just seemed like a like a holy man. I mean, he was just a wonderful, wonderful man. And and I uh, he asked me if I'd ever been back to Italy since I come over, and I told him that my wife and I and my youngest son, my son at the time, uh, my first son, that we had planned on making a trip back to Italy. I want to go back to my hometown, see my relatives and all that. And and he said. Uh, well, he says, my boy, he said, I would like you to have a, an audience, a private audience with the Pope. And I looked at him like, are you kidding me or what? I said, and I smiled. And he said, no, he spoke with a very heavy accent. He said, no, my boy, I am very serious. He says, I want you to meet the Pope Paul VI, he said, and I want to make that happen for you. And I said, well, I said, my goodness, I said, Monsignor, I said, uh, that would be the, the, the highlight of my life. I, and, and he said, well, he said, uh, when are you leaving? And I told him, you know, and he said, well, I will make arrangements. Next thing I know, uh, all arrangements were made when I was flying to Rome, and he was having somebody meet me and my wife and my son at the airport. We we went to the hotel we were staying, and then he, uh, I was instructed somebody from the Vatican would contact me. They did. And then someone came over to the hotel and uh, spoke to me and told me how, uh, the, 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 how you go about this, you know, different steps that had to be taken. And we did everything. And then, then the day came that we actually uh, had the audience with the Pope. And I uh, I was beside myself. I couldn't believe it, you know. And, uh, and uh, frankly, uh, I probably uh, didn't make a great impression because... I was so nervous I, when we finally met His Holiness. I kissed his ring, and and uh, uh, my wife did the same, and and my boy was looking at him, and and I was lost for words. I just did, didn't know what to say. I think my wife just said that uh, thanked him for such a great, great honor, you know, in our lives and, and that, and uh, he gave us his blessing, and then uh, he said, well, you just asked uh, where, where was I born in Italy, and, and I answered him, but I uh, but I was very nervous, and I couldn't, uh, thinking back uh, after afterwards, I could have kicked myself, because I felt, wow, it was such a great, great thing to happen to you, and to be uh, lost for words, but that's the way it was, and something you couldn't help. But <laughs> but we we had about a I don't know maybe twenty minutes we spent with him. And uh, my 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 son was speaking more to him, uh, saying, "Hey, I saw you on TV because the Pope had come to the states here uh, maybe six eight months before that uh, I think." And uh, and he's asking my son if he uh, uh, knew knew how to bless himself and. And all that, and and he asked us, you know, uh, yeah, he wanted to know if my wife was Italian also, and and stuff like that. We answered everything. He was very, very, very nice. But but like I say, I, I said some things I don't even remember because, like I said, I was just a nervous wreck.
but so you know, but but it did happen, and I have that memory, and I I have photos which I've shown many times since. But at the time, I had promised uh, that they would never be used for any kind of publicity in that, and I never never did that. I showed that only after I retired. I showed and printed pictures of uh, of the audience with the Pope. Yeah, I'm not much of a religious person, but for something like that to happen is amazing. Because the Pope, you can't go just knock on the Pope's door for sure. So. <laughs> That's for sure. Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, that was one uh, one highlight of my life. Uh, yeah, that is rightfully so. But April 6th, Madison Square Garden, sound it out one more time for the WWE Hall of Fame. Get information about the movie, the documentary. Everything going on that's truthful about Bruno at brunosanmartino.info. Bruno, thank you so much tonight, and in a couple weeks, we'll see you up in New York. Great. Well, thank you, Adam. Thank you for having me on. I enjoyed being on and talking to you and your and all your listeners. I want to wish them all very well. And, yes, uh, hopefully we'll see you in a few weeks uh, back in good old Madison Square Garden. <laughs> Yes, 